beautiful people. This is Ariel from 3AE, where we know that God is greater than anything and everything. And yes, it has been a while since I recorded, probably like three weeks now, two or three weeks. I don't know. It's kind of irrelevant. Consistency has been a bit of a struggle here lately, but we're going to get there. Anyway, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into this topic. So you've already seen the title, but let's just talk about it, right? A few months ago, I don't quite know what triggered the question, but I remember just sitting in my my room and just asking the Holy Ghost or asking God really like, Jesus, what do you look like? And, you know, I just kind of asked the question flippantly. I had no motive. I was just asking the question and I was expecting to just fall asleep because I just kind of asked the question before I was about to take a nap or something. And the first thing that came into my mind was revelation. Really, I just said came into my spirit. So I'm going to go ahead and start reading there. And we'll get right into this. All right, so in Revelation 1, verse 15, and I'll probably read uh, 13 and 15. So yeah, 13 and 15. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And so granted, typically, and let's just keep it a book, a lot of times people read this section, and this is where people start trying to argue about what race does Jesus appear to be from? But in this moment when I read this passage, I wasn't thinking about race. The first thing that I went to go do was to look up what brass that was burned in a furnace looks like like if it was currently in a furnace what does it look like and it burns really brightly and for some reason when I read this particular section it hit me that he was the furnace not just that he had been burned in the furnace but he is the furnace and his skin is looking like something that's on fire or melting in a furnace but he's the furnace so let we're going to talk about it. But in this moment, it hit me that our God can be likened to a furnace because of his holiness. And I know I'm talking in circles, but I think I'm just getting excited. So let's actually just take a detour for a second and go right into Daniel. So when we read in Daniel, and it's just going to take me a little second to get there. When we read in Daniel, and I'm sorry if you hear the papers wrestling. One second. And I probably should have thought about this. Yes. When we read about Daniel and the, like, well, not Daniel, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Um, let's go into verse. Sorry about the noise. Let's go to verse uh, chapter three, verse 23, and just kind of read down. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. But Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. 
um, and the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. So if you've ever read this section, you know that uh, everybody was supposed to bow down to this idol that Nebuchadnezzar had made. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow, so then they made it this law. Well, they were they knew they were, weren't going to bow because they were trying to just create a law to seek occasion against the people of Israel who were, you know, now in captivity in Babylon. And I think it's Babylon, but anyway, somewhere. And so they make this law so they can throw them into this furnace for pretty much refusing to participate in idolatry when they're thrown into this furnace there is another person another being who is seen walking around this furnace and of course nothing happens to Shadrach Meshach and Abednego so along so with number one Jesus appearing in revelation in his vision or this encounter and having his feet his bare feet look like brass burned in a fire and then also I'm saying Jesus appearing in this furnace, God appearing in this furnace with his people because they refused to bow is letting me know something about the character of my God. Why is he appearing in this fire and why are his people not consumed by this power, this fire? Okay, so we're going to just stay in Daniel for a second. Well, should I just stay in Daniel for a second right now? Holy Ghost. Okay, we're just going to stay in Daniel for a second and go to Daniel 10 and like, at this point, I hope y'all know that I just be bouncing around the Bible and then I'm going to go ahead and give you my commentary, but I just want you to have a foundation first. If we read in Daniel 10, this is after Daniel has been fasting. He's had this weird dream. He's been fasting, but of course there has been, uh, well, we're, we're, if we kept reading, you would see the Prince of Persia has been resisting. Uh, I think it's Gabriel. I think everybody kind of agrees that it's Gabriel. I'm not sure how we came to the conclusion that it was Gabriel that came to Daniel, but that's not what I'm here to argue or discuss. When we look at Daniel 10 verse 6, and we'll read five and six. Then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose lo loins were girded with fine gold of Uphaz or Uphaz. His body also was like beryl, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass, and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. So in this particular instance, Daniel is encountering an angel or an archangel where he's encountering or he's being visited by an angel that has rank. However, this particular person, we're just going to call him a person. This person, his physical appearance, his skin, if that's what you want to call it, looks like polished brass. Whereas the body of our God looks like brass that's burned in a furnace and I'm just saying it's burned currently like it's on fire right now in a furnace so when you put these two ideas together you have this idea that God himself his holiness is like a furnace and then you have the people or the beings of God who are close in his presence you can tell they've been there because they look like something that's been in a furnace they look like something that's been purified they have this gleam about them if you've ever watched videos that talk about like I think it's like smelting or like you know purifying precious metals or even just any metal that you need to purify when they're in a furnace they are so bright they glow it they look they're molten and it's this glorious appearance however once they are no longer in the fire you know their their colors change slightly because they're no longer hot and so what we're seeing is this angel 
because he's had to come and visit Daniel, he is not directly in the presence of God. He is not directly in the presence of this furnace. But even when he's in this furnace, he is not consumed because he is of God. He is still made. He still believes. He is still in alignment in accordance with our God. So he's not consumed by the fire that is our God. So let's just kind of take a brief tangent for a second. Because our God is holy, there is nothing and no one that can stand in his presence and withstand the furnace of his fire without being destroyed. So if we even think about like the different ways when people have like, you know, I've read different, read and heard people's different testimonies about, you know, I don't even know if you want to call it a testimony, but different encounters that they've had with a demonic, you know, a lot of people or different things that I've heard people will say, you know, it was black with red eyes. It just looked or it smelled like something Ryan or whatever else. So when I saw this, saw this idea of God as a furnace and the people of God being those that are purified and able to withstand this fire, it made sense that those fallen angels or those demons, they cannot withstand the fire of God. So remember, they used to be angels. They were in the presence of God. But when something unholy was found in them, now they are no longer made of the same thing that God is made of. So now they are consumed instead of just burning the same. And so now you have someone who instead of being beautiful, they're charred. They look like a briquette. They look like maybe an ember or, you know, you know, just slightly smoldering, but they're not purified. They just look discarded and disgusting. And so, sorry, I just heard something and it just kind of distracted me for a second. So when you think about this, it's not that God is just, oh, this is what I was going to say. So when we think about this, right? Think about if you have a, two matches, right? If I put two matches next to each other, the fires are just going to get bigger. But the actual matches themselves, the wood is going to be consumed. The two fires will merge. They're not going to destroy each other. But the matches will be destroyed because they're made of something else. So holiness, holiness and the holiness of God, we can compare to a fire. So imagine that all of the angels before the fall, all of whoever is existing before the fall, all they know is holiness. They don't know of anything being burned. They don't understand something being consumed because they are all holy. But then once pride is found in Lucifer, before he comes and tasks his fall, before well, just before he falls, before, but once pride is found in him, now there is no holiness in him. And now that dirtiness, that filthiness, that sin is consumed instantaneously in the presence of God. And so all of these, where this sin is found, they cannot handle being in his presence. And so they're cast out. And it's not just a casting out because you're disobedient, but it's a casting out because you're just going to continue burning in my presence. You can't withstand me or withstand God, not me, because I'm not God. But when we look at holiness Holiness is like a fire or holiness is a fire. Our God, because he is holy, he is this fire. What is like him will not be destroyed. What is like him will just light up like him. What is like him can withstand in his presence. So in this moment, our God, the God who is a furnace, not just the God of furnaces. And even when you think about this on a deeper level, right? 
why does God want a burnt offering? God wants a burnt offering, not right now, but why did he want one back then? Because it would represent the consuming that would have, have to happen to the people of Israel, that sanctification, that burning, that presence that they could not withstand on their own without the presence of the Holy Ghost. There is a sanctification that happens. There is a covering that happens now with you know this new covenant that allows us to be in God's presence so closely without being destroyed. It is only by his grace, only by his mercy that we are not consumed and it's just a glorious thing when you think about it this way so anyway let's go ahead and go to hebrews 12 25 to 29 for a second i've kind of gotten out of order but i know i got excited and i know that whenever you know i just let god do his thing so let's go into revelation 12 25 to 29 See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we or shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. So he's talking about in this moment the people of Israel, the people of old who, you know, would defy the law. And how much more with us having the indwelling of the Holy Ghost can we not just make it out if we just act like we ain't got no sins? But anyway, verse 26. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signify, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. I think I'm reading the wrong thing. Which, oh yeah, no, I'm good. Which, wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. In Hebrews, he said, our God is a consuming fire. I can't speak for anybody but myself. So first off, let me just backtrack. He's talking about we have a covenant, but we are also indwelled by the Holy Ghost. We have a covenant in the blood of Jesus, but we are indwelled by the Holy Ghost. We can't, there is no second covenant for us. There is no backup plan. And if there were such strong penalty penalties in the Old Testament, what do you think our penalty would be? We know him. We've seen him. We've encountered him. We've had him live in us. What will happen to us if we turn our backs on this God that we've come to know? That's what he's discussing here. But for this part, for our God is a consuming fire. I've read that before. I've heard it in the songs like Maverick City. They have this song that says like consuming fire, my heart's desire. We're constantly hearing that God is a consuming fire. But I feel like, well, I can't speak for you. I can only speak for me. Before I asked Jesus what he looked like, it felt like that idea had just become common. It was just something that I said in a song. Oh, he's a consuming fire. Oh, nobody can stand in his presence. But he is literally a consuming fire. <laughs> he is he's, it's baffling when you think about it. Our God is a consuming fire. And before the fall, people did not understand that fire would consume because they were all holy one and the same. So I don't know where it's written, but I know that people... I don't know where the mythology has come from or whatever. I can't post it. I don't know. But I know that I think people in songs or whatever have said like the seraphim. I don't know what revelation people have had. That the seraphim are just constantly on fire because they're so close in the presence of God. Which theoretically would make sense because God is also on fire. So even though I don't know where it is in the Bible, it makes sense. It just makes perfect sense. Alright, so let's actually just... Keep going with this idea of our God being consuming fire. We're going to kind of work our way backwards through Exodus for a second and just, just go. All right, so let's actually go into Exodus 33. Sorry if you hear my notebook or my Bible again. I mean, at this point, y'all should y'all know what's up. All right, Exodus 33, 
verses 18 to 23. And this, well, I'm going to just read it. And this is Moses talking. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will shake away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. So, this part, you know, if we read... If you've ever read it, like really any parts of the Bible where people have an encounter with an angel or they're, they're believing that they're having an encounter with God or they are having an encounter with God. So many of them get afraid because they're like, I should be dead or I'm going to die because I've seen the face of God. And I believe like, how has that happened? And so our God is holy and he knows he, okay, I'm going to put it this way and it's going to be illustrated further as we keep reading. Our God is holy and our God is our father, he's our father, right? And Jesus goes on and he tells us that I am meek and lowly. Take your burden, take my, take my burden upon you or take my yoke upon you, right? Our God knows that we are dust. And this is said in uh, Psalms 103, I think. He's meek and lowly. He says this in Matthew. And he knows that we are dust. And this God also knows that he is a fire, so the limitations he gives us, it's not because I'm he's rejecting you, or I'm trying to say it the way that I'm hearing it. It's not because I'm rejecting you. It's because I can't stop being who I am. I know that I am a danger to you when you are unholy. I know that I am a consuming fire. I know that I will break forth upon you no matter how much I love you, if there is unholiness in you, when this fire comes into your presence, when you feel me, you will be destroyed. So how can I keep you close? How can I love you? How can I cover you? How can I sanctify you? How can I be in relationship with you, but also preserve you as you grow in your holiness until you can see my face? So when we think about the, 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 the limitations God gives us, his default isn't wrath. He is not saying, oh, hellfire and brimstone is what you need to be afraid of. He's saying, I love you, but you can't get this close to me without me consuming you. I've seen it happen before. I know that I will break forth upon you. I'm not destroying you. I'm not rejecting you, but I know that there is still something in you that I will harm. It will bring harm to you. You have to be separated from this sin or this unholy thing that you're holding on to because I will destroy the unholy thing. So until you are separate from that, I'm going to keep you close and I'm going to keep loving on you, but you need to be sanctified. You need to mature. You need to grow. So in this moment, he's saying, I want you to see me and I want to be in relationship with you and I want to answer your prayer, but I also need you to fulfill this role. And I'm also not ready for you to be where I am completely. I still have a job for you to do, and you're still not quite there yet. But I'm going to give you what I can because I love you. And I want you to know that I hear you, but I also need you to hear me. When we have these boundaries from God, we have to remember that he is a loving father. Our God is like a dad who's, let's say he's just sitting on a bank, you know, fishing, right? And this father has a toddler. And this toddler is trying so hard to get into this river or this lake or whatever it is. 
And the father keeps pulling his child back from this lake, this river, because he knows that this lake and this river could be a danger to his baby. But, you know, toddlers, they have their tantrums. They think that you hate them, that you hate their guts, that you don't want them to have fun just because you're giving them a boundary, but it's truly because you love them. But with our God, our God is literally a fire. And he's saying, I love you, but stand back. I love you, but you're not there yet. I love you, but you can't handle this level of fire. I love you, but you we have some work to do. You can still hang around me. I need you close so that you can come in even closer. But I also know that I can burn you. And so how do I make sure that you stay safe? How do I turn you into me? How do I have you get, be transformed from glory to glory and be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can come closer and come in deeper? And so, yeah, it's just a beautiful thing when you think about it. Um, and then I'm now I'm going to go... Let's go, blah, 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 blah. let's go ahead and go to two. Sorry, y'all. I'm sorry about the noises that I make. It's just when I get tongue-tied or I talk too fast, I start making noises, but it's kind of unattractive, but it's okay. We're going to jump around in Exodus 19. We're going to read verses 5 to 6, then 10 and 13, and then 16 and 22, because there's just a specific set of things that I want you to notice. Please go back and read Exodus 19 for yourself. Um, it's very interesting. All right, so Exodus 19, verses 5 to 6 words. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So when Je not Jesus, when the Lord is telling Moses to say this to the children of Israel, they've already come out of Egypt. He's already worked these marvelous miracles in front of them. He's already given his covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All of these things have come to pass, but he's telling the people, you have to follow me in order for this covenant to also be yours, for you to inherit this covenant. And he's telling them, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. I want you to be holy and set apart. I want you to be different. Will you do what I'm asking you to do? And so when we go into verses, so first off, God will do miracles in your life just to invite you closer so when he's doing the miracles, he's not rejecting you. Obviously, he wants you close and he wants you to come into covenant with him. That is just the invitation. So the first set of miracles is an invitation. And then afterwards, your life should be filled with abundance. You know, there should be greater works, greater miracles, greater manifestation of the presence of God, greater manifestation of the fire of God. All right, let's go to verses 10 to 13. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that, you go, that ye go not up unto the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall surely be put to death, shall be surely put to death. There shall not an hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. All right, so please remember the, the, the example I gave about the father and the, the sitting on the lake. I remember the first time I ever read this section, I was like, God, why can't they touch the mountain? Why are you putting people to death for touching the mountain? To me, I was like, God, that's so petty. Like, just don't make it a death penalty just what are you why what is the point of that and 
things like that used to just make me so like it just make me so uncomfortable with God. Like, why are you putting death penalties on things like that? Like, for what? And it just it made him seem so scary. And it's like you can hear the bass in his voice. Like, I'm gonna kill you if you do this. Like, or just the threat in it. Like, it just felt threatening and angry to me. And maybe that's just because of the kind of house I hold, I grew up in, and what the men in my family are like. That it just seemed, of course angry and just violent for no reason but let's keep reading and then we're gonna it's gonna give us a little bit more context and just remember our god is a loving god he is a loving father and he is also a fire so let's go to verses 16 and we're not talking about like a fiery angry like that like toxic masculinity fire like this is just like he's actually just holy but anyway let's read verses 16 and 22 And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. So number one, he said there was going to be a trumpet sounding, but this trumpet is literally coming from heaven. This isn't the people deciding, okay, we're discerning it's time to blow the trumpet. There is a, a trumpet sounding from heaven. God is coming to Mount Sinai and he has like a whole, just, I don't know. He has, he has a lot coming, going on. I don't, it's, yeah, it's, my mind can't even really wrap around it. All right. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. So he's in fire. Like our God is so holy when he's in heaven. Like it's just fire. It just, it's just holiness. It just is. But right here on earth, when he's manifesting his glory here, we're seeing it as a consuming fire because that's what it is here. This place is fallen. But anyway, um, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. Isn't that beautiful? And the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came. Side note. The fact that the mountain is quaking, that there's this smoke, there's this fire, and there's this voice, it kind of reminds me of what, you know, Elijah was seeing. You know, there was a quake, there was a fire, but he, God wasn't in the fire, or he wasn't in the, the quake, He was he, but there was a still small voice. Sorry, I'm going on a t- tangent. I'm going to have to study that on my own time. Let's keep moving. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder, wait, no, hold, hold on, yeah, yeah, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses up to the ma- the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, go down, charge the people, lest they break forth unto the Lord to gaze and many of them perish. And let the priests also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And I'm just going to just skip down to 24. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. This isn't an angry speech. First off, when we read in, what was it? I think 10 to 13. 10 to 13, he was saying, don't let the people touch the mountain. Stone them or they're going to be shot through. But now God is saying, don't let them come forth. Because the God will break forth. So first he gave this threat of a natural death. But what he was really telling them, he was trying to prepare them because they weren't going to be able to wrap their mind around the fact that this God is a furnace. He is a fire. He is glorious. 
a consuming, glorious, holy fire. And so he gave them a warning they could understand. And that warning they could, they could understand was the death penalty. But he could not explain to them that I am so holy that if you try to come close to me and you're not holy like me, I am automatically going to light you on fire. You are like kindling to my fire. We are not the same yet. I want you, but you're not the same and you can't come close. But yet, even though they can't come close yet, this same God in previous verses said, you are a peculiar people if you come into this covenant with me. I want a nation of priests. So he wants them set apart. They're just not there yet. So the invitation is still an invitation. It's not a disqualification. It's just saying there's levels to this, right? And so when I started to see it as a father who's, you know, telling a, a, like a young, a young child to not put their hand on the stove or something like that, it just felt different. If you read this without the bait, y'all know how like when you watch The Prince of Egypt, when Moses is like, I can't talk. And then like God or the dude who's voicing God, he gets like some bass in his voice. He's like, go. And it's kind of scary. Like, even though it's not like super angry, you can tell that tone like slightly changed. It's like, whenever I would read things in Exodus, it was an angry Prince of Egypt God voice. But now when I'm reading this section, it's like, tell them not to do this so that I don't break forth on them. It's calm. It's meek. It's the way that God talks to me when I'm having a temper tantrum. It's just so calm and loving and gentle and it's not a threat it just is all right so now let's go to exodus 20 verses 18 and 21 so verses 18 to 21 this actual so exodus 20 first off is when he starts giving them the 10 commandments but when we skip down that skip down to verses 18 and 21 this is what it says and all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they were moved and stood afar off. They were scared. You didn't even have to tell them not to come close to the mountain because they were shook. Like shook it as the people say today. <laughs> Verse 19. And they said unto Moses, speak thou with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. God wanted to talk to them. He just didn't want them to come see him. He just didn't want them to try to come closer. He just didn't want them to over, uh, hmm, what's the word I want to use? He didn't want them to assume they were more holy than they were and get destroyed by that pride. He could talk to you. You just can't look at me. You can talk, but just don't look and possibly don't touch. But they were so afraid, despite the fact that he wanted them to be a kingdom of priests, that they didn't even want to hear his voice anymore. And then let's go on. Moses said unto the people, fear not, for God has come to prove you and that his fear may be before your faces that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. And so, I don't want to put it. There has to be something in us that is just willing to get over that fear or that trepidation, that hesitation and just still push and try to hear God's voice. And it's not an easy thing to do. It's, it's scary. It can be extremely scary. But you just have to take that leap of faith and go sometimes. And he wasn't trying to threaten them. But he, like I said, he, knew, he knows himself. He knows who he naturally is. He can't deny his own nature. He is God. He would be a liar at that point. He wouldn't be holy if he tried to stop himself from being himself. And if there's already this standard of, Holiness consuming that which is unholy. It's been set before men were probably in the earth 
it's been said because there was already a fall, right? Um, of some of the angels that are now no longer, you know, heavenly angels. He can't stop that. Whatever measure you meet, it's going to be measured out to you again. That's just his standard. And so it's not to reject you. It's not to throw you away. It's not to treat you like dross. It's to just tell you, you have to be holy. So if you love me, keep my commandments and be holy as I am holy. And when you're holy as he is holy, you get to come closer. You get to step into his presence. And so now I'm going to go into number 16. And this one, I'm not going to lie to you. This was also one of those moments where I was just like, the first few times I ever read this, it was, I responded like the people of Israel responded at the end. I'm going to go ahead and read that verse too when I get there. So we're going to start at number 16, verses 1 to 7. And then we're going to jump down to 35 to 41. This is where, oh, it'll, it sets the stage. I'll just read it. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the size of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Pause for a second. Number one, God said himself that he wanted a kingdom of priests, right? So if y'all have debased yourselves, that's because y'all said y'all don't want to hear God's voice for yourself. Secondly, I think there's a section before this, and I think it's also in Numbers, where uh, Moses is kind of having a fit. And he's like, who has made me ruler over all of y'all? I can't do this, God. Just take me now type of stuff, right? And he's like, sit apart, you know, choose 70 Set them apart and they can, you know, judge matters among the people while you're up on the mountain with me. So God wanted the people to be as close to him, every single person to get to a place of holiness where they would be as close to him as Moses was. But people weren't actually willing to die to themselves, to be consumed by a holy fire of sanctification and humility and obedience in order to do that. The reason that we know or we can say and assume that Moses was pretty humble and all of these things just think about it when Moses was first called he was talking about how he can't speak who's going to follow him da, 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 da. he had to humble himself to even obey that call he didn't want to be in the limelight he was afraid he was anxious he just felt like people were not going to receive him well but even in doing all of those things and presenting himself to Pharaoh when he didn't want to for a people that he did not believe would accept him Y'all, this man was humble and he was obedient and he was being sanctified and there was a fire that was already burning in him. He was already on fire when that burning bush appeared to him. This bush that wasn't consumed, you know, and remember in Exodus 3, he sees this bush and he kind of turned to it to see what was going on because this bush was not consumed. God was showing him you're about to be on fire and you're not about to be consumed. Y'all, it's just all this stuff is just coming together. But anyway, yeah, let's just keep reading. I'm just getting hype. I just know that once I get off of this call or once I get off this recording, I'm going to go and I'm going to keep reading for myself. Anyway, but we're almost done and y'all just have to go read a lot. Anyway, verse um four. 
And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face and he spake unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. This do take your censers, Korah, and all his company and put fire therein and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be the man whom the Lord doth choose. He shall be holy. Ye take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. All right. So wind it back. Cora and some other dudes are rebelling because they feel like Moses is making himself like the ruler of everything. And among these other dudes, there's 250 like princes or whatever, people with rank and influence and of the people of Israel who have come with them. So Moses is saying, okay, if y'all think that you can do what Aaron and his sons are doing, take censers, put incense in them, and we're going to go present ourselves to God and we're going to see what happens. All right. Let's go ahead and jump down to verse 35. Where are we? Okay. And there came, oh. Mm. Okay, so between these moments, um, well, hold on. We're going to read 23 and 24, and then we're going to read 34 to 41. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up, get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So he told God is telling people to move. And after this, the ground open up opens up and swallows Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, or Abiram, whatever their names are. The ground swallows them. Okay, cool, great. And so everybody's freaking out. Let's go to verse 34 down. And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. And there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. God was being gracious and merciful by not putting them in a position they weren't ready for. God had set Aaron and his sons, Moses, because they were sanctified, they were holy, they were doing, despite Aaron's shortcomings, somehow, some way, this bloodline right here was qualified to be in the presence of God. They were anointed to be in his presence in this capacity. They could come up, they could be in his face and not be consumed by the fire that is our God. God's desire was not for these 250 men, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram to go out like this. That is why he didn't put them in a greater position to be destroyed. You can't exalt yourself and then be shocked when you're destroyed. God was keeping them in a safe place. They crossed the boundary. They approached the mountain and then God had to break forth. He tells us all these warnings. I am holy. I am going to consume, period. I'm keeping you safe until you're holy enough to withstand my holiness and not be burned up by it, but just look like some burnished bronze, some polished bronze or brass like Gabriel. That's what he wants us to look like, polished, burnished stuff. He is not trying to have us look like ashes and kindling. That's not his desire. But when you get like Satan or Lucifer, whatever he was at that point, and say you're trying to exalt yourself or you're throwing and make your throne like the most highs or whatever, when you do that and say all that stuff in your heart, that's when you get in trouble. And that's, you're beside yourself. And that's when you get consumed. All right. Let's keep reading. 
And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, that he take up the censers out of the burning, and scatter thou the fire yonder, for they are hollowed. The metal was hollowed, the people were destroyed. Wow. The censers of these sinners against their own souls. Who? Let them make them broad plates for a covering of the altar, for they offered them before the Lord, wherefore they are therefore they are hollowed, and they shall be a sign unto the children of Israel. And Eleazar the priest took the brazen censers wherewith they were burnt had offered, and they were made broad plates for a covering of the altar. One second. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. To be a memorial unto the children of Israel that no stranger which is not of the seed of Aaron come near to offer incense before oh, sorry, I just kinda lost my space. Um before the Lord, that he be not as Korah and as his company, as the Lord said to him by the hand of Moses. But on the morrow all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, Ye have killed the people of the Lord. Okay, so these so-called people of the Lord that Israel is calling the people of the Lord. Korah, Dathan, Biram, and the 250, right? And their families or whatever. Jesus. They got prideful and decided that they could be in leadership positions that God had not yet called them to, if he was ever going to call them to. Moses said, all right, bet. Go ahead. Get you some censors. <laughs> Stand before God. Do what you're going to do. God swallows up some of them. Or has the ground swallow up some of them. And then others are burnt up in fire when God's glory comes forth. And then the censors are left. And the people are destroyed. And the censors are then made into something to cover the altar. I know I just read this. But and then the, now the people are angry because they feel like Moses killed them. And not that they killed themselves. Because they, they came too close. Y'all, these are the same people who got the exact same warning at, at the foot or the base of Mount Sinai to not come forth or they were afraid. They moved away from the rumblings and the thunderings and the fire and the smoke because they were fearful. But yet they let this same God who is still a furnace, though he isn't at the top of Mount Sinai in this particular moment. I mean, he's everywhere. But though he's not presenting himself or manifesting his presence like that in this particular moment, they're still looking at this God or now they've started to make this God common. Now they've started to reduce this God to just being God, the, the God of Moses and not their God they're in covenant with. And they're forgetting that he is holy. You can't play with this God. So after this section, and I just suggest that you read all of number 16. After this section, God actually gets mad. This is when he's upset with them because, well, Israel was just a stiff-necked group of people. And we all can be that way. He's just ready to destroy them again. And Moses has to intercede. And Moses is an intercessor because he's humble. And that is also what makes him set apart. That is why he is considered humble and just that's why he was given the position he was given and don't get me wrong he was flawed everybody is but he could he could handle the fire of God he could handle this holiness he could handle this separateness and you know what I honestly don't remember if I read this section and I don't think I did I'm gonna read it and if I've already read it I'm gonna read it again so if we double back for a second and just talk about the presence of God. 
I'm just gonna read like read it to myself and I'm gonna see if I but yeah we just have to how do I want to say this all right so anybody who's listening to my podcast you know that I would typically talk about Joseph Solomon because I would listen to his podcast or whatever and if you listen to his podcast or if you followed him at all you know that he recently uh, stepped away from the faith he is no longer he no longer considers himself a christian everything on his youtube all of his previous christian content has been like you know scrubbed it's no longer there everything is about his music so on and so forth and recently i don't remember it verbatim on his twitter he said something about and he said that this isn't the main reason he left the faith um but anyway on his twitter he said something to the degree of he couldn't understand how a loving God's, I guess, default is wrath or something to that, you know, kind of thing. And I guess my response to that is that our God's default is not wrath. Our God is holy and he tells us to be holy as I am holy. He loves us. But like I've said before, love and intimacy are not the same. Intimacy is closeness and vulnerability. Love is love. Love is wanting the best for you. Love is caring about you. Love is being kind to you. Love is, you know, all of love is in First Corinthians, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> love is all of those things. But his default isn't wrath. He isn't telling us these limitations with anger. He's telling us these limitations knowing that at some point, no matter what, you are going to see his face. Whether it's because you've set yourself apart and you've gone into a secret place to commune with him or it's when you die and he knows that if you are unholy if you have not been set apart that you cannot withstand his presence and so his default is in wrath he just is a fire and whatever whenever he knows that you can't withstand his presence because of something unholy in you he warns you Warning comes before destruction. And sometimes, like, of course, he is a loving father. And we know that dads have that kind of tone. Sometimes they're talking about talking to you and, you know, they mean business. But we also we have to remember he is our father. And we have to remember, though, that he is also holy and he knows the things that will hurt us. And he also knows that what can't withstand him. Our fear should not be the enemy. Our fear isn't supposed to be them tormenting us. He has given us power over that. We have to be mindful of the one who can, <laughs> who, who can decide where our soul goes. We have to be mindful of that one. And so it's like, I guess the way you can see it is we have this God who is a consuming fire, naturally. This God who wants to reach out and embrace all of his children, who wants all of creation or all of man, all men to be his children, but not all men are choosing that. He wants to reach out and touch you. And he can't do that if there is something unholy found in you. And as you let him refine you, as you set yourself apart, as you fast, as you pray, as you obey you start to be purified and look more 
like this God, you start to have a little bit of fire of your own. You start to actually return and be redeemed and restored to that image of himself that he had in his mind when he created you. And he can hold you a little bit tighter. You can breathe him in a little bit more deeply without, you know, worrying about smoke inhalation or something. Or worrying about being destroyed. This is just a holy father who wants to embrace you. But until you are holy enough, he will keep you at arm's length for your safety. But if you are still at arm's length or if you're not even in his presence, you've chosen that. What is he supposed to do with your free will? It just is what it is. And so I don't mean to like end that on like a depressing note, but our God is really a consuming fire. And when you just think about his voice saying some of these things and not like an angry, abusive, toxic daddy that you might have had, but just a God or a father who is really just trying to protect you. It feels a little bit different, you know, and I don't know. To me, that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> and like I said, you know, if you've ever gone through something or you just really had a rough patch and that's when you really started hearing the voice of God, you'll know just how gentle he can be. Even when you're acting like he ain't got the sense God gave a nap. But I appreciate him. And so I don't think I read this part, but I want to. So let's go ahead and go into Ezekiel 1 so that we can end this on a less heavy thing. Um, Yeah. And, you know, by the way, like still a little Joseph Solomon's voice. But, you know, I, uh, you know, uh, to God be the glory. Ezekiel 1 verses 25 to 28. And there was a voice from the firmament. Oh, mind you, this is when uh, Ezekiel is having like a huge vision. This is when he sees God and I think the cherubim. Yeah. And when there was a, and then there, there was a voice from the firmament that was over their heads and their heads being the heads of the cherubim when they stood and had let down their wings. And above the firmament that was above their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the, as the appearance of a man above it. And I saw as the color of amber as the appearance of fire round about within it from the appearance of his loins even upward and from the appearance of his loins even downward. I saw as it were the appearance of fire and it had brightness round about as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face and I heard a voice of one that spake. Though we are made in the image of God, we have the shape of men. We have... <laughs> We can be indwelled by his spirit. It's just so fascinating to think that fire tells us something about our God. Because if you put fire on my skin, I'm going to burn. You know what I'm saying? Unless, of course, we're having, I guess, like a, you know, fiery furnace experience by the grace of God. I won't burn. But it's just a beautiful thing. And even when you think about, like I said, the burnt offerings in the first covenant, they couldn't be in God's presence. They weren't indwelled by the Holy Ghost. They might be under his you know, power in a moment, but they weren't indwelled like we are. And still something had to be consumed. 
God wanted to show them, like, I'm consuming something in your place. There is something, there was an offering that I'm going to take for that fire because I want you, but I know that I will hurt you if I burn you. So this thing is going to represent you until I can actually light you on fire from the inside. And side note, let me just take this tangent. Holy Ghost, can I take this tangent? Holy Ghost, can I take this tangent? Okay, I'm going to go ahead and take this tangent. When we think about the blood of Jesus, right? Let's just go to biology tangent. I only have a few minutes left until Anchor starts telling me that I'm running out of time. All right, cool. Think about biology for a second. The purpose of our blood is so that it can move different metabolites, oxygen, carbon dioxide through our body. So as you inhale, oxygen comes into your lungs and other gas, of course, comes into your lungs. Then your blood is oxygenated. It's pumped to different parts of your body to oxygenate all of your cells. And then the carbon dioxide that is taken from your cells is then exhaled as the blood comes back. And this is a whole cycle. The purpose of the blood of Jesus is to make sure that we can be oxygenated again by the pneuma of God being the Holy Spirit. So when we look at this, you cannot get rid of Holy Ghost. The whole purpose in Jesus coming and shedding his blood on your behalf is so that you could breathe again. It is so that the the breath of God, that breath that made you a living soul could then flow through you anew and make you alive again because we were dead in our sins. With Adam's fall, the first Adam's fall, that life was taken from us. We surely died because we lost the oxygen, the life breath of the Holy Ghost. The blood of Jesus is a clean and pure blood in which the oxygen, the breath of the Holy Ghost can move. Side note, we're just going to go to a tangent so that you can kind of understand. Remember, if y'all ever saw an interview with a vampire from like 1995, right? Brad Pitt and think Tom Cruise? I don't even know. Anyway, Lestat, that's Brad Pitt. He brings, I think, I don't know, whichever one. Lewis, he brings Lestat some bodies in a bed, right? And so then Lestat is drinking dead blood, and then he gets all ugly and stuff, right? And then he's like, oh, I'm sick. You tricked me. You're trying to kill me, blah, 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 blah. We were walking around looking like some Lestats with some dead blood in the spirit. We were Lestat in the spirit. I'm sorry to use that imagery, but it's the best way to, to describe it, right? So once we have the blood of Jesus, we can now have the living God in us again and not just a cheap substitute of the oxygen from our atmosphere. You know, that's just a substitute. That's not the same as just having the Holy Ghost in you, right? It's something that can like, you know, mobilize your body, but it's not good enough for your spirit. So now we're quickened again because now we're reconciled the blood is a doorway. We're reconciled by taking that that inhale and being just Oh my God. And then with that breath, that breath allows us, that blood together, that is the reconciliation. That is what allows us to hear. That is what allows us to not be consumed by the fire of God. That is what allows us to walk in holiness. That's what makes you able to withstand the fire of God because now you have his essence. Now you have his very spirit that is the fire, the tongues of fire. It was like tongues of fire that came upon them. Y'all, be ye holy as he is holy. Walk in that fire. Walk in that fire. He is a consuming fire and it's glorious. It's glorious, y'all. Okay, I'm gonna calm down. I'm, I'm, I'm just... 
He's a consuming fire and he is a good father and he just wants you reconciled to him and he's trying to protect you from that fire at times until you can handle that fire, until you look like that fire. God isn't stopping or holding back from elevating you. He just knows that you will get hurt because of some unholiness or something in you that needs to be worked out until you can handle that greater level of responsibility, of authority, and of rulership. So, that is all I think I have for today. Um, I think in a future one, I'm either going to talk about, and I, now Anchor's telling me like, oh, you're about to get cut off. Anyway, I think that either we're going to talk about humility and false humility, or we're going to talk about ownership versus rulership because both of those things are pretty important. But at the same time, I'm just going to let the Holy Ghost do what he wants to do. So anyway, I'm going to just go ahead and pray us out, and then we're going to be out of here. All right, cool. So, Holy Ghost, I just thank you for this recording. I thank you for this time. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your fire, God. I thank you that you are a consuming fire. I thank you for your holiness. I thank you for the excitement. I thank you just for the opportunity to see your face. And I hope that what needed to be sown into people's hearts is sown into people's hearts lord god i hope that the message wasn't overcrowded or overshadowed by my own personality lord god i hope that you know people get whatever revelation they need to get i hope that it just makes your image come alive and they start to see you in the spirit they start to understand you better and they hear and feel the love that you are god and I just praise you for this opportunity. I thank you for being my father. I thank you for showing me yourself. And I thank you for just showing me yourself so that I can see you through the lens that you are and not through my own experiences and not through what, what the world has taught me, Lord God. Give us a new vision. Give us new wisdom. Give us the right wisdom. Give us the right vision, Lord God, in this season, in this hour. Knit us together. Make us one in the kingdom. In Jesus' mighty and matchless name. And Lord, just... Holy Ghost flow. Be in all of us. Move. Let us just continue to elevate in you. Let us just continue to grow. Give us fresh oil. Give us fresh fire, Lord God. And just who make us look like you. In Jesus' mighty and matchless name, I pray. Amen. This has been Ariel from 3AE, where God is greater than anything and everything. I hope you have a blessed day, a blessed week. And my goal will be to be back next Saturday. All right, bye. Or uh, all right, y'all. Bye. Again, have a great weekend. Have a great week. And I love you.